All right. We're live. Another episode of Monero Talk. Uh, tonight on the show, we have Alex Gladstein. He's the Chief Strategy Officer of the Human Rights Foundation. Oh, wait. Hold on one second. Just got to mute myself over here. All right. Uh, yeah, he's from. He's the Chief Strategy Officer of the Human Rights Foundation. Um, he was recently on the What Bitcoin Did podcast. Um, I listened to that interview. That's a great show, by the way, for anybody who's uh, into all these crypto shows, in particular, mm -hmm. you know, with a particular concentration on Bitcoin. Uh, over here, we obviously concentrate on Monero. Yep. Um, but yeah, I listened to you over there. Um, that was actually kind of the, I guess, the first I really heard uh, uh details of what the human rights foundation does mm -hmm. but i would love it if i i don't want this to be a repetitive situation for you i'm hoping we could delve into some different topics hey, obviously you, i, I want to focus on monero i want to keep it yeah. interesting for you uh but if you can't if you don't mind if you could give it another quick intro i know you gave a great intro on that show sure. but if you don't mind just quick intro of who you are and what the human rights foundation actually is yeah so first of all Thanks for having me on. Uh, a lot of fun. I think Monero uh, is a really important tool and the people that are building it are onto something very important in as much as humans need private money and cash and paper and metal money is obviously disappearing and we should live in a world where we preserve the values of cash uh, but, but in the digital landscape. So I salute all the people building Monero and uh, hope I can continue to work with the the decentralized community as it is um, to, to help bring new tools to human rights activists and journalists uh, who need it. Um, the Human Rights Foundation is a nonprofit that focuses on helping people who live under closed and closing societies. So basically people who live under authoritarian systems, places that don't have uh, separation of powers or don't have uh, the ability for you to write an op-ed in the local newspaper or let's say to do a protest against something or to pressure your public officials to be accountable or to change their policies, you know, a place where uh, private property maybe isn't, you know, a very strong concept, um, a place where criticizing the government is uh, something that's risky or even dangerous. Um, and the, the crazy part is that about 4 billion people live in a country uh, that, that could be classified from a political science definition as an authoritarian government, whether it's big countries like China or Russia or little ones, like for example, Bhutan, uh, or even, and this is provocative, I suppose, but but Singapore is, is a one-party state, right? So there's all kinds of different authoritarian systems uh, in the world. And, you know, we as an organization view them as less than ideal, to be polite, um, for humans. We think that humans should live under uh, basically, uh, societies that have rule of law and, uh, like basically separation of powers and that people should be free to participate in their government and speak their mind, uh, without being afraid, uh, of violence. Right. So at HRF, we've, we've focused on, uh, technology and how technology can, can be on the one hand, um, a tool for dictators and governments to surveil and repress their people. But on the other hand, how technology can be a liberation tool uh, to help people who are in tough political climates. So I've looked at both extensively and have, you know, 
spoken to a lot of people about, for example, the police state that China is building with the help of advanced technology and big data analysis, and at the same time have looked a lot at, uh, for example, encrypted communications, people building virtual private networks, uh, looking at projects like Tor, looking at projects like Monero, projects like Bitcoin, um, projects that essentially allow people to go and gain an advantage against a nation state oppressor, right? Uh, we're going to need things like censorship resistance and privacy if we're going to preserve liberties in the digital world. That's great. So, I mean, you are the chief strategy officer. Um, what, what are you actually actively trying to work sure. Bitcoin uh, and Monero and cryptocurrencies into your, your strategy here on, on how you guys so proceed? Technology is like a, a component of what we do. It's an important component. Um, it's not my, my full-time occupation. Uh, you know, as the chief strategy officer, I'm responsible for uh, fundraising, partnerships, uh, marketing, communications, working in the media, kind of helping our organization go forward strategically when it comes to thinking about our programs. And there are a couple obvious intersections. Uh, one is that from a fundraising perspective, I think that uh, actually cryptocurrency is um, playing a key role uh, in this area, both from the perspective of people who've accumulated uh, assets like Bitcoin, who are then going to want to donate them to nonprofits. This is like a really important area to, to think at and look at both from like a tax taxation uh, and also just like uh, ideas around building endowments where people have certain assets, like for example, Bitcoin or Monero that float, of course, um, and that they may have expectations that these assets might be worth more in the future. So they may look at giving things like Bitcoin to nonprofits as like planting a seed for a future tree, right? Um, at the same time, there's like the obvious much more Monero relevant case of like, hey, I like your organization, uh, but I don't want the government to know that I'm giving you the money. So this is where Monero comes into play. So I think even on like a brass tax kind of administrative level, uh, cryptocurrency is going to play a huge role in, 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 let's say, human rights organizations moving forward. I mean, especially when you think about a lot of like human rights groups operate in very tough political climates where their very existence is illegal. Right. So if they're known, then the government can shut down your bank account. Right. So my ability to sidestep that entire, uh, you know, political economic system and transact in something in something like Bitcoin or Monero uh, is very useful, uh, obviously. So at the end of the day, for a lot of these folks, what's going to be important is liquidity. And like once I give you Monero, right, like what do you do with it? Right. So that's something we can we can explore throughout this this uh, conversation. Yeah, and, and just so I have a better, I know you talked a little bit on the other podcasts, like some of your specific projects. Um, I think you guys sure. spoke about um, uh, bringing information into North Korea, uh -huh. uh, like actually being boots on the ground, getting get, or somehow you guys were were, were bringing. Yeah. Uh, well, like but but I well, I just want to get. So my question is, uh, in terms of like crypto and Monero specifically, uh -huh. do you guys? How do you guys see? Uh, how are you guys going to work that into what you guys do? Is there a particular mm -hmm. project you're working on or is it more yeah. about just educating people and letting them know that these tools exist, that Monero exists as a, as a tool for censorship resistant transactions? Right. At the end of the day, if you're working on Monero because of political reasons, because you believe that, that humans should have private money, 
and that you view this as something that's related to human rights and a free society. Uh, we want to work with you. Uh, that's kind of like the uh, the, the, the very short uh, elevator pitch here. Um, there are gonna be different ways to connect with the Monero community. Um, we run a conference series called the Oslo Freedom Forum. I've already spoken to several different people in, in the Monero community about attending and coming and running some programming where activists who live under dictatorships like Saudi Arabia, Zimbabwe, China, et cetera, can enter into a conversation with people who are building Monero about the importance of private money. So that's something I'd love to see happen. Um, I think there's also like research that, that we're gonna be underwriting. So the Human Rights Foundation is uh, gonna announce shortly a, a privacy tech fellow that we are, um, we are gonna be uh, launching. This is sort of a privacy tech fellowship, okay? So this person's gonna spend six months with us uh, writing essays that explore privacy technology and its relationship to human rights activism, journalists, things like that, uh, with a special eye towards people who live under really tough political circumstances. So we're gonna be looking at Monero, Monero tools, uh, the community itself, on-ramps, off-ramps, et cetera, uh, as well as other privacy currencies um, and Bitcoin itself. Uh, and you know other projects in the in the general area, um, but um, there's the, so there's going to be research opportunities. There's going to be uh, events opportunities. Uh, I think there's going to be several different ways that people working on Monero should see the Human Rights Foundation as oh I can like connect to different people through HRF if that makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. So I, I'm glad. I, I... I'm glad you're talking about Monero in a very positive light. You obviously um, really understand, I think, the, you know, the use case of what this technology is supposed to be, uh, you know, um, basically the censorship resistance aspects of it. Um, one of the questions I like to ask uh, is why, why do you think, you know, the Bitcoin maximalists, uh, those who kind of preach mm -hmm. these same ideals, uh, uh -huh. You have people like Andreas Antonopoulos, who uh -huh. very eloquently talks about this technology being used as, you know, um, uh, for all these things we talked about, right? It's a, like this great liberating technology that will uh, allow people to communicate without censorship. Um, why Why do you think he he's not a big proponent of technologies like Monero? Or why, why do you think they're kind of ignoring... Uh, what seems to be this more truer digital cash, um, something that's kind of doing what Bitcoin set out to do? Why mm. do you think it's it's being ignored by 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 the cypherpunks uh, in in Bitcoin land or the, the self proclaimed cypherpunks? Got it. Um, so I can't speak for anybody else. Um, what I can say is a couple observations I've picked up from the last few years. I think that um, there are quite a few people, including myself, who love Bitcoin and are obsessed with Bitcoin and find it incredible. And at the same time, are interested in what other similar technologies can do. I think the, the problem is that, as you know, as probably the most Monero folks know, most of the other Bitcoin-esque projects are scams and are, are basically just fraudulent. So it's a very heated emotional environment to begin with. I think that um, there are a lot of people who are 
uh, a little too sensitive with their, you know, Bitcoin is the only thing that could possibly work. I, I tend to agree with them on a lot on, on most things, except for the fact that I, I kind of view Bitcoin as a, as a financial tool for, for particular purposes. Okay. I'm not like a, a slave to it or I don't, you know what I mean? I, I'm not like ideological about it. I think it's a, an amazing, wonderful tool and it's what I spend most of my time looking at. However, I think, especially at this stage in the game, we need other tools. So, I mean, I don't think anybody could tell you with a straight face that, that Bitcoin, you know, is, 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 is a amazing privacy technology right now. I mean, is it better than using the banking system? If you have good operational security, I would say yes. But I mean, things like Monero are necessary right now for certain things. Um, and I think hopefully most reasonable Bitcoiners could, could sort of agree to that. that like, hey, if, if there's somebody who really needs a private transaction, um, that they should be using something more like a Monero or perhaps one of your, you know, one of the other coins in the field, like, like a Zcash, for example. Uh, I think there's really good use cases for both right now. Um, and I think for some reason, that's a little hard for, for certain people to admit maybe. Um, but I, I do want to say that I'm like, a, you know, I'm like kind of like a Bitcoin uh, person who is also really interested in Monero uh, is kind of where I'm coming from. Like, I think the fact that people are building uh, privacy first money is really important from a human rights and freedom point of view. And that the community is so obviously interested in these ideals uh, is huge. Um, I mean, and maybe, I, I, I think the other thing maybe is that some of the Bitcoiners believe that like, given enough time that maybe Bitcoin will become like, you know, through either second layer, uh, you know, advances or even protocol advances at the base layer that it will become private. But I, I find that hard to believe at the moment. Um, certainly something I'd like to see, um, but we're, we're clearly not, that's not going to happen in the next year or two. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. I think there's some roadmaps out there for, uh, Bitcoiners. I don't, I don't see why anybody in the Monero community wouldn't want Bitcoin to be more private. I think it's something we should all want because it's the dominant coin that ultimately, uh, has the most liquidity in the places that I care about. Right. So if we're talking about helping people who live in, 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 in a place like, you know, Burma or the Philippines or Venezuela or whatever, uh, you know, the fact is or Nigeria, the fact is that, that when we talk about a parallel economy, Bitcoin's the most dominant coin there. So I think we should, we should understand that and, and, and hopefully be rooting for, for it to become more private. But um, for the folks on the other side, I think they need to understand that right now uh, it, it's not, Right. Like if, if a government wants to spend uh, quite a bit of money, um, they can they can track you down. Right. By using it. Um, now, the question is, you know, how long will this kind of state of affairs last? And, and I haven't really gotten to speak at length so much with so many people in the Monero community. But, you know, is this I guess to turn it back to you, is this a, is there a widespread belief that like Monero will always be very singular or perhaps, you know, to be fair, something like a Zcash, th these coins will be uniquely important separate from bitcoin like or is this sort of like just right now that's kind of where it is from a from where these technologies are from a development perspective like what's your view on that like where do you see bitcoin in five years do you think it's not really advanced at all when it comes to privacy or do you think it has advanced yeah, I, I think well my personal view um is that the you know the invention of bitcoin the purpose of bitcoin was you know peer-to-peer -peer cash mm -hmm. uh digital cash and uh, it got us about 98% of the way there. 
but it it it, it was lacking in the in, in its ability to be private and fungible. Right. And so we, you know, my my I'm a believer. I'm a, I'm a maximalist in digital cash, not in Monero per se. Got so it. I'm I'm constantly on the hunt for the one that's doing that the best. So I originally was a Bitcoin maximalist until I realized um, how transparent Bitcoin actually is, and uh, and I just see that as as a flaw. Maybe maybe it, it could be cured, but all signs point to no in terms of what we've seen so far in the Bitcoin community. Uh, it just seems like politically, it will be very difficult to add, uh, you know, true privacy and fungibility to Bitcoin. Uh, just like we saw with the scaling debate, there was a lot of politics there. Yeah. Um, I just think um, it's become, you know, and, and the Bitcoin uh, maximalists will describe this as a benefit. The fact you that- you think that most Bitcoin maximalists believe in privacy? Um, it's hard to say. I mean, this this is where I see the hypocrisy, right? So okay. I, you know, you, let's, let's actually focus on not just people online, but like coder, like, like people working on Bitcoin core, like actual people who are spending their days. Uh, my, my, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. My hope is they do right. That they, that they're yeah, in it for, for what this stuff is really supposed to be. Yeah. And, uh, but I think at the same time, they're also fully invested in this project. So it's it's hard for them to then, you know, take themselves out of it and look at it and say, you know what, maybe Bitcoin won't be able to achieve uh, true fungibility. And then and then they start to rationalize. Well, well, maybe you don't need that, right? Mm -hmm. You don't. It, it used to be that you know, you know, this stuff needs to be fungible on the core protocol level, and now it's like, well, maybe we could do that on the second layer, you know, and and, the, and you start to you, they start to rationalize. Yeah. Why it doesn't need to be on the core protocol. I, I think layer. I guess to, you know, because I want to talk more about, I guess, Monero and, and private money. But but to, to close the loop on this, I think that um, there if you're a Bitcoiner, I think there's reason to be hopeful that that Bitcoin will become more private moving forward. But you, you, you do need to understand that it takes time um, and it, it it's imperfect. And um, it is something that, you know, will clearly take even if best case scenario at least 18 months right to get to if, if not more than that to get to a really workable privacy situation where you've got um a full a full stack of you know me sending you money and you know the whole way is is in, is, is private um i think i think there's some cool experimentation in there and that that's where i'd like to see more kind of like um and i think there's plenty of this like positive feedback and like um, kind of a, a jovial competitive attitude between people working on privacy and Bitcoin and people working on Monero and Zcash. I feel like coming from the outside perspective as a human rights activist, there's like a bizarre amount of uh, tribalism. It's it's really strange. Um, I don't see why you, and I, and I see why this statement is controversial, but I guess I don't see why you couldn't think all three of the projects are really cool. Um, so if that makes sense. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, me yeah. personally, yeah, don't get me wrong. I'm I'm still a, a Bitcoin, you know, like I said, I want digital money to win. Yeah. Uh, so if that means that it has to be something like Bitcoin and then privacy is added later, and, you know, Bitcoin has the network effect, it has all, you know, it, it has the most network effect also in terms of the developers that are working on it. 
and and maybe that's what gets us to the next level and then privacy is added sure but i just don't see it being possible in terms of adding I mean, privacy later whole, on I mean, one of the things i've been saying is i think we need a whole ecosystem we need a whole industry of democracy technology of privacy technology we need all kinds of people working on all kinds of projects um, right. there needs to be a fierce and vibrant competition there needs to be a lot of resources flowing into this because if not we're all going to lose and we pay and Alipay and Facebook coin and the Fed coin are gonna win. Okay. So, you know, if we don't, if we don't win, they're gonna win. And like at the end of the day, there might be a lot of squabbles between like people working on privacy wallets for Bitcoin and the Zcash folks and, and the Monero community. But at the end of the day, we all lose if we don't create something that's workable, it's a workable alternative to the financial system for the average person. Because the average person you cares more about convenience, okay? Most people don't care about privacy. So they're gonna slide right down that Orwellian slope, right, to all of a sudden, like, oh my God, I use WePay for everything. Wait a second, that means that the government knows everything about me. Like, that that's not that far of a, of a, of a it's not a far-fetched scenario, given that we already live in, in a country, at least, I'm just, I don't know where you are, but I'm in, a, in the United States in a place where, you know, Facebook and Google, just to name two companies, let's throw in Amazon, know enough about us that if they were weaponized, you know, it wouldn't be that different from what, what's happening in China right now, right? Um, the difference is that in America, we still have separation of powers and rule of law and individual liberties, and the government can't just like hit the big red button and, and throw us all in prison. They can in China, and they do. And they're, for example, rounding up all the Muslims in northwestern China right now. So, so there's a huge difference at the political level. I'm someone who believes that if we're going to fight for a free future, free future, we need both old school human rights and civil liberties advocacy on one hand, and then we also need to build technology to allow us uh, to, to basically own more of our own data and money and information and challenge the state and keep the, the state at, 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 at bay a little bit. Um, I think we need both. Um, but I think one thing is interesting to dwell on is that I did write this article for Time uh, about why Bitcoin matters for freedom. And I mentioned that, uh, you know, that right now my assertion, and I got like a lot, I got huge into a lot of interesting debates with Monero and Zcash folks on this was that Xi Jinping can't monitor right now um, all, uh, all Bitcoin transactions. And I guess we can, we can take this a couple different ways. Um, I don't really want to back down from that statement, um, but A, he's not. So we know this. So people don't get arrested in China today for on-chain Bitcoin transactions, right? So while he might be, while the Chinese Communist Party might be doing this, we, we from all from everything we understand, and I, I I filmed another conversation with a guy named Leo Weiss, who's a he runs the Bitcoin Club in Hong Kong. He knows more than anyone. Uh, he knows a lot about what's going on in China with regard to Bitcoin. Um, you know, from what people can understand, uh, the Chinese government hasn't kind of gone there yet. Now I fully understand. I understood that that they, that they could, but but there's a huge interesting reason why they haven't yet. And I think and I think if if it was easy for them to do so, they would because Bitcoin and Monero and Zcash. I mean, they, they represent a parallel economy where people are moving capital out of China. That's like not what the Chinese government wants. So if it was easy for the Chinese government to stop all of this, they would do it. It's not easy. So, you know, we can't, you and I don't know what Xi Jinping's thinking. I mean, does it even, does he even understand what Bitcoin is? I mean, who knows? Um, maybe not. But the point is, um, you know, right now, uh, 
you know, there, while there is surveillance at a micro level on chat applications, which is being automated with big data analysis, for some reason, they're not doing that with Bitcoin yet. Now, could they? Yes. Uh, and that is scary. And that's why we need to work on both Monero, Zcash and other alternatives plus Bitcoin. But like we should realize that right now that's like not what the Chinese government's doing. And you can say the same thing for according to the folks that I work with who are Venezuelan, the Venezuelan government, which hopefully is in its dying days, um, the, the, the illegal Maduro government doesn't use a company like chain analysis to go after particular people and investigate the Bitcoin blockchain. So these are like, th these are important considerations. It doesn't mean that they couldn't change their opinion tomorrow and say all of a sudden, all right, let's do it. But we should understand that loosely dictators aren't doing chain analysis. I mean, we know the U S government is, um, but it's, it's just something important to understand about like the landscape right now. Yeah, I mean, my, my, hold on, I'm getting an echo here. Can you hear me? Yeah. I'm getting a little bit of feedback when I talk to you. Did you change something over there? No, That's but I can, huh. I can plug in a microphone if you want me to. Uh, if you don't mind. Oh, now we're good. Okay. You there? Yeah. Um, yeah, my opinion on that is, you know, that they will be. Uh, all governments yeah, will be and doing I think that, I do. and uh, the it's yeah. it's just it's just too easy for them to do it. And is it, uh, is it? I mean, I thought it was quite expensive and difficult. Well, maybe now, but I think it's you know something that that will be very that will improve greatly with time and become. Ah, uh, but I think it's going to be a cat and mouse game. I think people building Monero and Zcash and privacy features on Bitcoin are going to hopefully, I mean, the hope is that we, broadly speaking, as a community that cares about digital cash, will proceed at a pace that's slightly more rapid than these corrupt bureaucracies and the way that they're trying to prevent that from happening. 100, 100%, but I feel like, you know, Zcash and in particular Monero mm -hmm. is very focused on that mission. Uh, that's kind Which of our, that's our core and awesome. Right. That's the core people. mission. Whereas Bitcoin, it's not really their core mission. No, um, it's not. That's that's my concern there because it is a cat and mouse game. And right now Monero is ahead and it, and it intends on evolving uh, as we proceed uh, to, to fight this cat and mouse game. <laughs> Whereas Bitcoin is seems to be okay with entering this period of where its code can't even be changed any further right it kind of it kind of sees that as uh, a benefit right because it's the whole digital goal thing right so they see uh one of the benefits of bitcoin is that it's difficult to change the protocol um and that we're kind of entering this phase where the window yeah. will be closing where you won't even be able to to change the protocol anymore and that's kind of been spun as a positive as and, and i think eventually it is a positive but if you're going to win this cat and mouse game, uh, you're going to have to be able to s stay ahead and become more private to, you know, to win. Yeah, I mean, I think it should be really difficult. Um, I mean, Bitcoin has a governance system that's that's very difficult to, to seize, uh, as mm -hmm. we've seen. Um, it's very decentralized and uh, very difficult to coordinate to change the platform, um, which I think is a really good feature, not a bug. Um, and I do think you're going to see some really significant changes coming in the next 12 months. I'm, I'm pretty sure of it based on what I can see coming out of research conferences and developer meetups. Um, at the same time, I don't think anybody, whether you're an activist, a journalist, 
a Bitcoin or whatever, if you care about privacy, you should be rooting and supporting and, and talking to the folks in the Monero community. I mean, this to me is just so obvious. Um, so that that's where I would maybe knock some of the people that I like in the Bitcoin space for being a little too tribal. I will say one one last thing. Really, what this debate ends up coming down to is uh, uh, what we call in the Monero, like Monero community, perfectly uh, binding versus being perfectly blinding. So it's kind of theoretically impossible to have a coin that's perfectly blinding like Monero, mm -hmm. where you don't know whether or not it could potentially be inflated without anybody knowing. Uh, yeah. Whereas, Look, so I that's. That's, That's kind a of good point. I mean, I would say that a lot of the folks that I know who are most ardent about Bitcoin, they often don't even mention privacy as one of the things that they care about. As you're saying, they're more in it for the hard cap, for the 21 million. They're in it because it's really hard to change the rules of the game and that it's going to have this transparent monetary policy and that it's going to be really, it's going to be hopefully impossible to print more Bitcoin. Um, and that it'll be an alternative to central banking. I mean, I think that's that's what the hardcore Bitcoin folks want. And privacy to them is kind of like a, from what I can understand and read, it's like a bonus, but like not the core feature. Whereas I do think there are other people, and I'm pretty sure Andreas Antonopoulos, for example, would be in this camp that sees privacy as like really core to Bitcoin, like what it needs to be. So um, I think there is a split there where you have some like Austrian economics folks who are super into like digital gold and and I, I do appreciate all their observations about Bitcoin for sure. But then you have like people who are more interested in like, as you're saying, cash, right? So let's keep the idea of me giving you a $20 bill and that being like a very difficult to surveil uh, interaction. Let's keep that alive in 30 years when our kids or whatever and, and grandkids uh, won't have paper or metal money. It just won't exist. And we know that, right? So we need to invest a, I mean, there should be a Manhattan Project level uh, research, uh, you know, project into keeping private money alive in the digital world. And I think that's kind of, you could argue, I wonder how much resources and how much developer time um, has gone into Bitcoin and Monero and Zcash compared to the Manhattan Project. I bet it's not that different. Um, it is pretty amazing. And the cool part is there's not like a government with a gun to somebody's head saying, hey, build me a bomb, you know? It's like a bunch of people who aren't under anybody else's thumb doing what they want in a completely decentralized way saying, hey, we need we need private money in the future. Trust me, you're going to want this. And I, I will commiserate a lot with um, the folks in your community because I think like, you know, most people look, most people hear about, hear about Bitcoin and they're like, oh, that's just for criminals. But Monero, like, obviously, like, oh, that could only be for criminals. And... I think they don't stop to think about what is a criminal, you know, what what is crimin what what is criminality, right? It's what a nation state has deemed is unacceptable, right? And I think you can have issues with that in a democracy like the United States, where possession of marijuana and all these ridiculous ridiculous things are are, are illegal, and and much more so in a dictatorship where like dissent at its most basic level is illegal, right? So, I think people tend to have a bubble mentality, generally speaking. They kind of live in, in in their city in Chicago or San Francisco, New York, whatever. Um, and they're not really thinking about what Mon what an amazing tool Monero could be for somebody who lives in like China or, uh, you know, Venezuela or Saudi Arabia or something like that. I think they're only thinking of it as like, well, if you need to use Monero, you must be doing something bad, right? Which always reminds me of like the beginning, like of the internet, right? Where like a lot of these TV clips you watch 
of talk shows and industry reports uh, and investor reports at the time were like, well, like the internet seems seems like it's going to be a breeding ground for like terrorists and drug dealers and pedophiles, where it's like, actually, at the end of the day, what did the internet do? It didn't empower those people very much, but it did put all of human knowledge in all of our pockets. You know, that's pretty amazing, right? So um, I think people are, it's it, they're, they're late and they're lagging and largely ignorant about the efforts being waged by people to make sure that our future generations have digital private money. And people in the future will be thankful for what you're doing now, but they don't, they don't get it right now. Yeah. So you kind of already answered my question, but what, what is your, what is your philosophy on that? Um, on a, are you okay? Are you a big, do you think the, the coin that wins, if there is only one that wins, should it be purely perfectly fungible and perfectly private? Or do you think there should be these ways to, so, to, to unravel it when necessary for, yeah, so I actually call think, crimes. You know, we can we don't have to speculate that much about this. We can think about cash as a proxy for what a really, really good, or we're never gonna say perfect, but like a, an excellent privacy coin in the future might be. I would imagine that there would be a way, if there's an excellent privacy coin, to still surveil that if you have like if you've kidnapped both people on both sides, right? Like if you have like if, if you can physically confiscate somebody's tool that they use to interact with this currency, like I'm assuming we're not at the, we're not far enough ahead where it's like brain chips or whatever. Um, but like if you're sending Monero to someone else, like and you're using a computer or a phone or whatever, like at some, at some level, someone could like kind of watch what you're doing, right? So in the same way, cash was, was similar, right? Like someone could like sneak in and see us exchanging dollar bills, but like normally we'd be careful about it and that would be difficult, right? Pre-surveillance state. So humans have always had barter and cash, right? I mean, at least in our, in our modern civilization, in modern history, um, dating back thousands of years. Uh, and I, I guess you'd have to make a case that that was somehow bad or evil, right? That, that there would be a reason to get rid of that. And I think it's quite the opposite. I think the ability to have these like bearer assets, like like paper, met money, metal, money, gold, going back many many millennia, I think these things are important. I think they allow us to have, uh, you know, to conduct business, to have privacy, um, to remain independent uh, of of a corporation or a nation state. I, th I think this is really really important. Um, peer to peer money, I, I think, is really really important um, from a human rights and, and moralistic viewpoint. And I think it's worth preserving in the future. So what I would say is a future without cash, it, it would be very difficult for me to imagine that that's not a like crazy police surveillance state. Like if here's the, here's what I try to tell people, like, could you imagine living in a society where, where all of your financial transactions are owned and surveilled and freezable by somebody else? I mean, most people already live in that world to be frank, I guess, but but really, when you start to think about what could happen if you're going to have no control over your money, um, you know, and, and you know, we can sit here in our comfortable Western societies and say something like, well, that could never happen here. You know, we'll, we'll be fine. But I'm just looking at what's happening in some of these dictatorships. It's really scary. And I, I, I just it's hard for me to see the disappearance of cash as a positive.
See, I mean, that, that's my fear with, with Bitcoin, though, is that it's it's sold as the great liberator, uh, but it could potentially get us closer to this dystopia that we're, that we're describing. Oh, man. Um, I just feel like the people building Bitcoin are not into the dystopia thing. And yeah, they, but whether they, they are or are not, I mean, at some point the technology takes over and, you know, uh, you know, when you have everybody, it's, it's just like Facebook, right? I mean, I don't know. I don't know if the people behind Facebook, I mean, I don't know, necessarily, <laughs> <laughs> necessarily, you know, the, the Facebook team with, with the Bitcoin developer team. All right, but sure, you're, you're trusting in, in humans, right? I mean, uh, that's what this all comes, the whole point is we right. really shouldn't have to really have that trust in people's uh, morals, right? It should be that that the the technology is built in such a way that no matter what people's morals are, the end result leads us in a more positive direction, right? Um, so if, if Bitcoin isn't built correctly, does it end up that we're all, you know, yeah, uh, no, transferring on, a, on, yes. a, on what's essentially yes. a transparent yes. ledger that could yes. be... Yes, if, built, if Bitcoin is built incorrectly, Yes, it will be manipulated and it will be bad. Uh, I just I'm ho I'm hoping and have reasonable evidence to believe that like there are enough smart people working on it to make sure that it's not built in that way. But um, as I was saying before, uh, it's really important that we have massive experimentation and investment and interest in education in this whole area of private money, so that. I mean, we, we need to be pushing in this area. We need to be having these conversations. We need to be uh, talking about why Monero is important. And I think Monero is like a good canary in the coal mine thing. Because like, I mean, it'll once if you've, if you've convinced somebody that Monero is important, okay, you've done a really good job. Like, 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 let's just put it this way. The establishment right now doesn't even understand Bitcoin. Getting them to understand Bitcoin is going to take years, and and they're going to all be late on it, in my opinion. Um, Monero is going to be even more difficult because you're basically taking this idea of digital money and saying it has to have perfect privacy, right? So, you, if you and I'm sure you've noticed this, a lot of the folks who are proponents of Bitcoin will say stuff like, "Oh, but Bitcoin's great because the law enforcement can, if they want to, you know, use it to track down people," which you might you must find amusing. Um, I don't think this is a positive thing. Like, I think that this, to me, my hopeful self is saying that like, this is like a temporary stage in Bitcoin's life where, yeah, it can be used to track people down. But I don't think that's a good thing. But it's funny, there's a lot of people in the Bitcoin community who are like, who hold on to this as somehow like a positive thing. And I think that's the wrong, that's that's yeah. wrong. Uh, yeah, I, no. I don't think we should be going to like regulators and saying, oh, don't worry, like, you know, Bitcoin's totally transparent. like. This seems to be to be flawed. Like the goal is that it should be private. So that, least, that is as a human rights activist, it should be. So it's you've seen some of this, right? It's kind of oh, weird. Yeah. What, well, that's a, <laughs> it's it's the ultimate argument that's made in, in you know, at these congressional hearings and all that, you know, it's, it's the argument that's eventually made. Well, don't worry. Bitcoin will actually help you, uh, you know. Uh, fight crime because I, it's actually it's, transparent it's, and you can track things. More than a, it's more than the coin. Um, look, there's some people who are very religious and, and very tribal about the project they're working on, which I totally understand. Um, but it's about the kind of person that would want private money, private digital money. Like we, we need more of these people. We need more people to realize what will happen if we don't have it. 
Um, it's one of these things where it's like, you don't realize how bad it is until you don't have it anymore, right? Um, I think that that's what it's kind of gonna be like. And, you know, just generally speaking more broadly about like the way the internet works today, it's just astonishing to me when I look down at my phone and all these apps I use, uh, with the exception of, of a couple that are obviously like privacy focused. Um, yeah, that like we live in the age of cloud computing where someone else owns and processes and can seize and monitor and surveil our data. Like whether it's Facebook or Google Maps or my banking software, whether it's financial location, behavioral data, what I'm eating, whatever. I mean, whatever people are gathering about me today, um, I don't own, someone else owns it. It's in some giant data center somewhere. Um, so I do really think we need to shift uh, to data processing more generally in a way that's distributed in, in perhaps like obviously like a node-based uh, decentralized network. Um, so I'm really, you know, I follow Bitcoin uh, for that reason because I think it's, 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 it's providing an alternative model, especially with like second layer technologies uh, that can help it scale, like like for example, Lightning. I do think it's it's pr it's it's providing an, a, a compelling alternative model for like what we're up against. Because again, like Monero, look if Monero becomes something like PGP or Signal, which in ten years is used by a tiny minority and isn't really that popular, I think it will have failed. Um, you know, in the same way that I kind of think. I mean, Signal is awesome. I use it, but but it. it you know, if, if it's to be victorious, it's got to be it's got to be used by like most people, you know. So I do think that we want encrypted communications. We want censorship resistant storage. I mean, IPF, IPFS, another really cool project. Um, like I would imagine most Monero people would be interested in, you know, the ability to like upload something online and, and not have the government be able to take it down. Like that seems cool. I think there is like a family of these technologies that that need to be kind of seen in unison, right? And I, I just feel like at the end of the day, um, you know, Bitcoin's one of those, Monero's one of those, that the, they're gonna compete, they're gonna eat each other up, um, but but they, they are in this area that, that I would wanna call like, you know, democracy technology, basically, like, or something like that, where, you know, you've heard of like health tech and ed tech or whatever, green tech, clean tech. Um, I think we should have a concerted effort to make like a, a dem tech where, hey, this is an area where we think you can make money and you can also protect protect civil liberties for you and, and for your for your future generations. Um, in the same way that clean tech is is that idea for the environment or health tech is that idea for the healthcare system or whatever. Like I think we need a, a very large scale effort by people from both investors, uh, coders, users, uh, marketers all over to, to get involved with this. It's so important. Yeah, I don't know if you noticed, but I titled the video, Should Bill Gates Donate to the Monero Project? Um, <laughs> that was my way of saying, you know, you, you have the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, they're doing amazing things. And you, you, touched, you touched on this a little bit in, in your podcast about impact investing. Um, why, why not? Why, why doesn't he, you know, donate millions of dollars to helping uh, bring Monero to life? So, um, I mean, the impact would be tremendous. So I'm going to give most folks and I don't want to I don't want to single out the Gates Foundation, but like I mean, <laughs> most large scale humanitarian organizations the benefit of the doubt and say that the decision makers are are just not very educated about 
things like Bitcoin and Monero, they don't understand how they work. They don't understand what their ultimate purpose is. They might view them as a scam or like as just way too volatile or, um, you know, something only criminals use. Like I really, or, or that they would like balk at the very idea of even doing something legitimate with it. They feel like it's somehow illegitimate. I really doubt that folks at like places like the Gates Foundation have sat down for six hours and said, let's learn about Monero and how it could be useful for us. I just don't think those meetings have happened, dude. So, so like, I, 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 you know, I think the question is, is a little too early, but I will say for foreign aid, think about it this way. So today, if you're the Gates Foundation or the State Department or something, and you're supporting farmers in Rwanda, for example, who are, you know, entrepreneurs, okay? Today, if you want to make a big gift to do that, make a big, you want to make, send money, it goes through the banking system, through the Rwandan banking system, which is controlled by Paul Kagame, who is a dictator who won his last election by like 99.9% of the vote and has like beheaded his political opponents and basically started all these wars. I mean, it's a terrible, terrible, corrupt dictator. So you have to work with this guy. So the money has to go through him. Then he gets to decide how much of a cut he takes. And he gets to decide, oh, who, who it goes to. And he has total control over that. This is the current financial system. You know, this is this is basically what it is in its extreme form. Now, through things like Bitcoin and Monero, we have the opportunity to sidestep that entire thing and just go peer to peer with people. You want to help people? Great. Help them directly. All they need is a phone that's advanced enough to, to have, you know, basically, you know, a basic wallet, an open source wallet, and they can send and receive, right? At least, at least with Bitcoin, right? So it's like this idea that we can just skip that entire process um, is is truly remarkable. And you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, will Paul will, will Kagame start cracking down on this? Um, probably at some point. But like, there's not a whole lot he can he or she can you know these people can do. Like, you know, what are they going to do eventually? Um, it's amazing that we can even look at China today. Like, like there's been so much money moved out of China. Uh, you know, through Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies that in this exact idea, like either through commerce or just to get their money out without the government controlling it. Like we can ask, what has the Chinese dictatorship done? I mean, I mean, they haven't certainly pursued it with all of their might, you know, and we have to say to ourselves, well, maybe they will, but they certainly haven't yet. And it's a little bizarre. So we're kind of in a strange time where I don't think, again, I don't know if the communist party has sat down for six hours and said something and, and, you know, really tried to understand what Monero is and how it works and what it does. Um, I think most decision makers are just, just haven't done that yet. I mean, and it's not even something you could do in six hours. It took me like seven months to really grasp what Bitcoin was. Okay. And, you know, forget about Monero or something else, but even just, even just Bitcoin, it took me a long time to figure out why it was so amazing. Um, we're talking many, many months. It's like a, I mean, you could say that these things are like a um, like physics or chemistry, right? You you have to learn about monetary policy and game theory and incentives and uh, energy use and uh, you know cryptography, and you have to learn about you know the way currency works and privacy. I mean, these are all like the people who built Monero had to learn or were experts in all of those things. So it's it's a very complicated thing. And, you know, I get this idea that like, oh, at one point it was like sending an email uh, was bog mind boggling and difficult. And now you can do it with a swipe. 
but it's pretty easy for me to explain to somebody why an email might be useful, right? Like, oh, I you can just send a message to somebody around the world. It's a little more difficult to explain why why needing why you need an alternative money system like that. That's a totally different conversation. So I can understand why there's been so much flack, right? Um, and and I think unfortunately, folks in the Monero community are going to continue to meet this resistance, which is either going to be ignorance or like really hostile um, opposition uh, to what you're doing, which is unfortunate. But you know, keep going. So just to shift gears real quick, uh, sure. you mentioned democracy tech. Do you think there's any other uses uh, for blockchain? I know, I know maybe you don't like that term, um, blockchain tech uh, in improving democracy, uh, maybe kind of solving the, the one person, one vote problem, uh, allowing for online voting, uh, kind of moving, uh, moving some societies closer to direct democracies. Uh, do you see any evolution yeah. there with this technology? I don't want to say something that makes me sound like an idiot in 20 years, um, <laughs> but I will. Uh, look, I don't think if you, if you, if you don't need censorship resistance, I don't think you need a blockchain, right? So I think Satoshi Nakamoto had to use a blockchain because it was the only way to make decentralized money without someone in control, right? And the creators of Monero, like, you know, obviously wanted to improve upon that idea, right? Um, so they also needed one, right? So a lot of the blockchain projects though, at the moment are just nonsense. Almost all of them are just total nonsense. And it's like some corporate division of some company ordering someone to work on blockchain because they've heard it in the news or something like that. I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but that's literally what's happening. And um, there was someone online who mentioned that uh, I can't remember who it was, but it, it, it was someone who mentioned that it was sort of like a cargo cult, right? Like, like, like in, in World War II, when um, American forces would be heading out towards Japan, and they would stop on these little islands, and the, the locals wouldn't really understand, like, why, why were their planes coming? Or, you know, how, how did they communicate? They didn't know what, how radio worked. Um, so they would do like dances and worship and sacrifice and, and, and try to try to encourage the gods or whatever, right. The, the troops that come by to give them goods and services. Right. So this was like a cargo cult was what it was called. So I think the blockchain today, the word blockchain is like a cargo cult. Like most people, if someone tells you they're like a blockchain expert or they're working on blockchain or something like that. It almost, it's just almost, it's like a certain tell that they don't understand it. You know, it's kind of, it's kind of funny in that way. Um, but if someone is like a blockchain expert or is lecturing about blockchain or something like that, it, it's almost like an immediate signal that they, that, that, that they don't know what they're talking about. It's kind of crazy um, to, to a lesser extent, cryptocurrency, but still the word crypto very overused. I mean, people will sit there for two hours and talk about crypto as if it's something real like, what are you talking about? Are you talking about Monero or Bitcoin or Zcash? Like, no, they're talking about some, they're basically usually talking about Bitcoin with a couple attributes of their favorite things. And, and, and like, it doesn't exist. There is no such thing as crypto. It's not a real thing. So I think being specific is going to be very helpful for us in this like next phase of working on these technologies. We should really be clear about what we mean. And, and, catch-all terms like crypto and blockchain are, are really unhelpful to our mission. Like people should be talking about Monero and private money as opposed to like crypto. Like, you know, what happens is like people get confused 
and people think that Bitcoin's attributes, for example, whether it's being immutable or having a hard cap or being censorship resistant, they kind of blur that into all these other projects. So they're like, oh, it's on a blockchain. So it's like censorship resistant. It's like almost all blockchain projects are not censorship resistant, like almost all, right? So there's an educational problem here that I think needs to be addressed through being more specific. And I think it's really important for like students. Nope. Hello. Like people at universities. You cut out for a second. Oh. Still there? No, just yeah, like being specific about which projects we're talking about is really mm -hmm. important, especially for people who are learning. Because like when I first started learning about blockchain or whatever, there's just endless videos uh, that are that are really unhelpful, right? And like it's hard to to to, to find. Uh, you know, it's actually really hard to find good resources, which yeah. is kind of crazy because Bitcoin was is more than ten years old. Um, but there are some, there are some for sure. And maybe that's something that the Monero community wants to invest more time and effort in is, 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 you know, and it's hard in it when you're in a decentralized community with no leader, with, with no like obvious leaders. Right. But I do think that, um, like explaining to the lay person why Monero is important is, is going to be really key. Um, cause even if Monero fails, uh, it, the idea is is never going to die. Okay, so even if Bitcoin fails, I don't I don't think it will. But like if but even if it fails, all the time I've spent learning about it has been a hundred percent worth it because I've learned about you know why decentralized money is important and why we should have an alternative an alternative money system where we actually have more control over our money than than a government. So in the same way, even if even if Monero fails for some reason, like you know you've been pursuing an important mission, like private money in the digital world, really important. Yeah, I completely agree with you on all those points and how you described uh, the misuse of uh, blockchain tech. Um, but how about for democracy itself, uh, these ideas that, uh, you know, online voting can be improved? Yeah. Perhaps maybe it's yeah, something built that. on top of Bitcoin or yeah. Monero. Uh, so, you know, if we're using a, a reliable right. chain, do you think there there's things to be done there that 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 will come out of Bitcoin or Monero? So voting is a mechanism, right? So when we talk about a democracy, like a government, a government run by the people in, in its most basic sense, right? Um, at the very minimum, we talk about a representative democracy. We talk about the leaders being accountable to the people, right? Um, we talk about civic duty. We talk about um, citizens being able to at least elect their leaders and then have oversight over them and being able to toss them out if they're bad. You know, this, these are the basic concepts of what a working democracy should be. Um, the voting is kind of like the last step. It's sort of like the cherry on top of a, of a democracy, a functional democracy. More important and underlying the voting process are things like separation of powers, constitutionalism, rule of law, uh, free expression, civil society organizations. So if you don't have these things, but you have a vote, the whole thing's a sham. I mean, the North Korean dictator has a vote every year and forces all the North Korean people to vote for him. Voting itself is just a mechanism and it can try, it can, it can be, it can, it can certainly be a tool for non-democratic governments to try and pretend to be democratic. Um, all kinds of dictators try and rig elections. What you can't rig is free expression and separation of powers, you know? So I think this translates actually really well to the digital world. Um, when we talk about governance uh, in the political world, like let's say out here with us, 
Um, humans have been experimenting with decentralized governments for thousands, you know, since Cleisthenes in ancient Greece had this idea that we should be ruled by rules, not rulers, right? That was 2,600 years ago. We've been tinkering with this idea ever since. And, you know, lo and behold today, more than half the world or about half the world lives under um, what we would call like a decentralized political system, maybe maybe a liberal democracy of some kind, which is an unbelievable, uh, unbelievable progress, amazing revolution. Um, in the digital space, I think you're going to see something similar on a much more compressed time scale. But the general idea is that uh, decentralized governance is 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 important, and it's kind of counterintuitive. Um, so take 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 this example. Um, you have a seven-year-old child and you ask them, what society would be more safe? The one with tons of rules and lots of police or the one with less rules and less police, right? Um, of course, the seven-year-old is going to say the one with like a lot of police and a lot of rules. But in reality, terrorism and corruption breed in dictatorships, not in democracies. See that? So it's sort of counterintuitive. And I, I think the same thing is going to be true of information and of money. I think uh, distributed decentralized networks that govern information and money are going to be better for humans than highly centralized tyrannies where there's arbitrary power. This is just something I, I deeply believe. So when it comes to like um, blockchain or, or like, like, you know, let's say in the voting area, um, again, it's just a sort of final mechanism for what's underneath. So could distributed voting that's that's truly decentralized um, be useful. I mean, it could be certainly. I think that that's a really tough nut to crack. I mean, people have been trying to for a long time. I also think there are things to be said for centralized uh, voting authorities. Um, I don't think I'm not someone who believes everything should be decentralized. I, I think money should, but I, I don't think everything should be. Um, I think institutions uh, are, are useful, and when there's like clear accountability, um, that might be helpful for society. Um, so at the end of the day, like, you know, this it's all about the security model, right, for these things. I just, you know, you'd have to have such a robust security model for a decentralized voting mechanism. And it would be have to be it would have to be doing something that is on top of a foundation of of other things that are similarly decentralized, where there's like a really good foundation for it. So um, I would say that most of the projects that I've seen in this space, not all, some are interesting, but but most of them are like, you know, done by some government or, you know, some 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 company that, that clearly tried to just get in it for the PR purposes. Like you've seen this in like Africa and stuff like, oh, we did like a vote on the blockchain. It's like, no, they didn't, you know, like, so I would be cautious, um, but yeah, I mean, look, at the end of the day, decentralized voting, um, it's a cool idea. I just think the security model would have to be like insanely robust. And I, I haven't really seen that yet. How about just the, uh, your opinion on the philosophy, you know, behind it as well? Like, do we, do we want to move closer to, you know, if, if these technologies worked, do we want to move closer to direct democracies or is that a problem? I mean, I don't know if you have an opinion there. I'm sure you do. Uh, yeah. Kind of like uh, Again, rule by think, rule by the majority yeah. versus uh, the protecting the, day, the minority. I think voting is this sort of mechanism and it's kind of the last and least most important part of a democracy, ironically. Um, you can have too much of it. Um, so I live in California and 
I personally, I mean, when we get these, uh, we look that we 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 look to see what we're voting on. Um, it can be kind of ridiculous. Like, I, I, you know, it takes me a lot of time to research, and that's the point. We should have civic duty, and we should sit down and we should research. Like, should we or should we not like uh, dam off this reservoir to make a trade-off between water price and protecting the environment? Um, but do I really think that the other several million people in the Bay Area are going to make the right call on that? I don't know. Like, it's clear that they haven't uh, on a lot of different public policy issues. So I think what's more important than like one vote, one person is like separation of powers. Uh, I think that's just so key. Look, I mean, we live in a country or there are many countries around the world that have, you know, the printing press and the, and the independent media are different from the people who make the laws, who are different from the people who execute the laws, who are different from the military, who are different from the justice system. I mean, at the end of the day, this stuff is more important than the act of voting. Um, I mean, voting is a, is, is a uh, I mean, how would you say it? It's like, uh, it's an essential, um, but not complete uh, part of democracy like you do need it in the end it is it is this sort of cherry on top mechanism in my view uh but at the end of the day it's it's it by by itself it's fairly useless again all dictators have have votes i mean every every they all force people to vote or you can <laughs> it's like that's why it's a free and fair elections like if like for example in venezuela what they've been doing for for like 15 years is all the most popular potential rivals to Hugo Chavez when he was alive, they'd be like disqualified from running for some reason. This is what they do in Iran. The mullahs in Iran have like this sort of like fake parliament and they only let people into the parliament or you're only allowed to stand for election if you've passed like their muster, right? So there are plenty of ways to game this. At the end of the day, the key thing is separation of powers so that there is no revolutionary council, so that there is no Chavez that there is no one group of people who decide who can run, right? So these things are just really, really key for us to have like an authentic uh, democracy. So I guess to wrap this up, uh, you touched on it a little bit in the beginning, but how could the Monero community get more involved in the Human Rights Foundation? Are there mm -hmm. things we can do to yes. kind of partner up? Are there uh, ways we could work together? Are there projects we can work on together? What could we yeah, do? There's, there's, um, you know, write to me, uh, by email and then we can start communicating, you know, on signal or however you, however else you want to talk. Um, I'm Alex at hrf.org. Like I said, I've already met some amazing people in the Monero community. We're hopefully going to have some of, some of you out at the Oslo freedom forum at the end of May in Norway, where you're going to get a chance to meet people fighting for freedom, uh, and liberties, uh, in very difficult environments all around the world. And, Talk to them about what you're working on. Talk to them about private money. I think most of them are find that very interesting. Uh, like in, immediately they will understand why this is valuable. Um, whereas when you talk to somebody in like Denmark or Japan or Florida, they might be like, why would I want that? Like, isn't that just for drug dealers? When you talk to someone who lives in a totalitarian or like an authoritarian state, they're going to be like, oh yeah, sign me up. That sounds amazing. So I, I think you'll really enjoy it and it'll give you hopefully some inspiration to keep doing what you're doing. Sounds good. Well, thanks, Alex. I think uh, we'll wrap it up. It's been about an hour. Um, I really cool. appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, it was super fun. And uh, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll stay in touch. And how, how do I find out more about the Oslo? Uh, Oslo it's oslofreedomforum.com.
Okay. And there's like, you know, we have them around the world. We have a one day event in Mexico next month and or this month, I guess. And you come to New you come to New York too, I think I heard. Is that I do occasionally, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there no, but is there a conference being held here oh, in New we York? We usually do an event in September, yeah. Okay, yeah, maybe I'll join that one. I'll reach out to you about that one. Yeah, we should have like a little meetup there. That'd be fun. All right. Thank All you right. very much. Thank have you for a good night. Me. I really appreciate it. All right, take care.